listening to the Sly Dog Music Cast. Now here's your host, the Sly Dog. Hello and welcome back to the Sly Dog Music Cast. I'm your host, the Sly Dog, and joining me this week from the band Firefall, lead vocalist Jock Bartley. Jock, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm doing really well, man. It's great to talk to you. I'm really excited to talk about this new record, uh, Comet. Oh, uh, great. Yeah, congrats. It comes I, out. It comes I am out. too. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. Uh, congrats, man. It comes out uh, this fr- Friday, if you're listening uh, before release day, it's December 11th. If not, if you're listening after, it's already out. Um, this is your first album in some time. I believe it's your first one since... Uh, the mid '90s. Yeah, the mid '90s. That uh, uh, Messenger, I think, I think was the album, the last one you did. Uh, right. Talk about uh, what made this feel like the right time to record this new Firefall album, since it's been so long since that last one. Well, Firefall and a lot of the bands that we tour with that are kind of in the same '70s ballpark as us, whether it be Ambrosia or Orleans or Atlanta Rhythm Section or Bigger Bands America or something, we pretty much, you know, have been coasting on the road uh, playing the same 70s song for like 25 years, right? And that's what people pay tickets to see. And when you're on a bill with, you know, four people and you're given 45 minutes, I know which 45 we're going to play because Firefall had a lot of songs that people like to hear. Um, And after a while as band leader, I kind of just went, you know, it would be great to put something out, but with, of course, radio having changed so much and, and, you know, so many people expecting to hear new music and old music for free and, and streams and all that kind of stuff, you know, I was wondering, you know, but we should. We got a lot of fans, and this came from, this album came from four or five years ago. I asked Mark Andes, for, who had been in the band Spirit back in the mid-60s, uh, 65 through 1970 or 71, um, if we could do Nature's Way, which is one of Randy California's great anthem environmental songs. And, you know, Mark was there in spirit. He was a rock star in the 60s. And Mark said, yeah. And I talked him into singing it because he's not usually being a lead singer on some of these songs. I said, you sing it great. And it went over with our crowds at concerts um, really well. And they appreciated the song. And, you know, most of the people in our crowd are our age, you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And um, and uh, the song went over so well that I thought we should, we should record it. And once we kind of committed to recording it, which meant to me making an album, or at least starting to record new songs and see where they go, um, the... Uh, uh, where was I? Let's see. Uh, I know you're on tape here. Um, okay, okay, man. I, I, I was talking about Nature's Way. Yeah, oh, Nature's okay. Way, new album. So we, so with Nature's Way, Mark ended up singing a really great lead vocal. We recorded it. He asked Timothy B. Smith from the Eagles if he would play or would if he'd sing on the song with Mark, and uh, Timothy said. Yes, and was really enthusiastic about it because Timothy Schmidt had been a huge spirit fan when he was in high school in Sacramento. And I was there on the rail when Timothy told uh, Mark that you were my hero. I would drive anywhere in California to see spirit. You know, and Mark, you know, humble Mark is like laughing and stuff. But 
we recorded it, and then uh, John McKee from the Doobie Brothers also played on it out in L.A., and suddenly we had two rock stars playing on our version of the 70s classic from Spirit, Nature's Way. And at that point, I threw the, the songwriting and the song search open to not only anybody in the band that encouraged the band. I wrote four of the songs on the record. Um, but we also started looking at outside songs by anybody who had great songs that might be appropriate for Firefall. And we ended up having four winners that we found and have become part of the Firefall sound and album. And uh, we're really just excited about the quality of the songs. Have you heard the whole record, Alex? I have heard the whole record. I'm really blown away by it, by it actually. You guys definitely managed, you captured, like, and this is kind of, it's we're kind of foreshadowing actually my next question, which, so this is really a really good segue. To me, the album has two themes. And one of them is looking forward while acknowledging the past. The album has that classic, cool, firefall vibe. It's 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 laid back, but there's great guitars and great musicianship and great songwriting and great vocals. But it's also, I feel like, a little forward-looking in a way. Would you say that's the case? I think you're right. And my answer to that question is, going into this new record... Um, as the band leader and the producer of this record, I knew that at least half of the record really needed to sound like or sound reminiscent to what our great albums of the 70s sounded like, which Mark and I and David, the three guys in the original band, from the original band, you know, we, we made those records, so we knew how to do that really good. So I wanted at least half of the record to sound like us, and have people go, oh, yeah, that sounds like a modern fireball great, you know. And then, like most good records have, if you have three or four or five songs that maybe break the boundaries or, you know, whatever rules you set up, and of course there's no rules, you kind of break, break the rules and you put a song or two on there that stretches it out. And the truth is our old Firefall albums in the 70s had a lot of that. You know, when you... You know, people who only listen to AM radio thought that Firefall was just You Are the Woman, Just Remember I Love You in a strange way. And we had so many other great rock songs and a diversity of a sound that I think we captured that in this. And I appreciate saying that because certainly some of the songs look backwards. And my song, Way Back When, which is the new single, you know, takes homage to how great the music of the late 60s was with all those great artists that were on the radio then. You know, but then, then there's other songs that are kind of really totally modern. And, you know, it's, it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, really happy with how it turned out in the blending of old and new. It, it is. It's a really great, you know, it's it, like I said, one foot, for, one foot in the past and one foot moving forward. So, yeah, that sound came across great. And uh, you mentioned uh, Way Back When, which is a great introduction to the album, a great first single. Uh, it's kind of, I, I like the use of like, you know, music to kind of reflect the pat like the passage of time and you're using ti song titles to do that talk a bit about that song because that song is really cool have you seen the video i have actually that, that was great i like mark's introduction where he's kind of talking about how right. you know the 60s it, it, i don't want to say the 60s is happening again but there, there are certain things that happened towards the end of the 60s it kind of feels like we're in that kind of climate again well you're absolutely right and actually the video so my son, Jamie Bartley, made that video, and it's fantastic. Yeah, and, it really is. And, you know, 
basically the only direction that I gave him going in was have him play and sing on the choruses and stuff. But on the verses, it's talking about, you know, Aretha Franklin or Marvin Gaye or, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I want to have a picture of the band or the picture of the logo or the picture of the single or whatever. And it is. It's kind of like a loving look back and remembering how great those three years of 1965, 67, and 69 were. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember really well because I was a teenager then and going into my 20s, and it was it was great. Oh, yeah. You guys Music have... back then was, was different, and, you know, and bands were allowed to be who they were and write their own songs and perform them, and then the, those bands would either be a big success or fall by the wayside but you know there wasn't this big label control over we want you to sound like this or if you don't sell platinum records you're out of here right yeah and that's what that's one thing i kind of envy about that era actually i'm a, I'm a younger music fan uh, i'm 27 and i like a lot of older music and i feel like bands back then were given more of a chance to grow and like fl- flourish like if if things didn't hit the first time around that's all right you've you've got your next record to try again, and if that didn't hit, the, there was usually maybe one more chance. Right. Like you look at a band like Blood, right. like Blood, right. like Blood Sweat and Tears, they didn't hit on their first album, but their second album, boom, like huge. Right, and when you really look back at it, the Eagles, their first two albums didn't even go gold, and then they got momentum, and then they started selling records, and they they became who they are now. But they started slow too, in terms of if you were a record guy wondering. You know, if they're going to pay back their budget, you know. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was different time then. And fortunately for Firefall, we had such great songs on our first record um, that it hit out of the box and had a cool cover to look at with the carlet, which is, you know, I wanted to have this album. I was going to name the album either Comet or Yosemite, where the name Firefall came from. Mm. And Lynn, our manager, said, Comet, it's going to be Comet. We'll find a great picture, and we did. So, you know, we're we're reminiscing to the 70s, but definitely looking forward to. Absolutely. Uh, another song I wanted to touch on is uh, I Really Love uh, New Mexico, which I read the press release. You know, you kind of wanted to write Mexico 2.0 in a way, and you definitely succeed in that. It's kind of got that classic guitar sound. And it made me, like, I've seen you guys live twice. It made me want to hear the song live. So talk about that one. Well, it's funny, and I laugh when people want to talk about that song because thinking, like I just told you, we need to have five or six songs sound like Firefall. I kept saying in my mind, we need a New Mexico. You know, the song Mexico, which is kind of the epitome of what Firefall sounded like back in, in the day. Cinderella in Mexico, particularly, but with my lead guitar, great song, great groove, and, you know, I kept saying, I need a new song like Mexico, but after a few times, you know, after a few weeks, it was like, a new Mexico, okay, let's write a song called New Mexico, or a new Mexico, and uh, so I definitely doffed my hat and honor Rick Roberts by writing a song similar to the you know the first one there's you know there's no plagiarism involved you know it's all different keys and different melody and different lyrics and stuff but it's definitely me trying to write a song to sound like Firefall and from what I'm hearing from people including yourself that you're really loving it and it takes you back 
It does. It's a, it, it, it is, it would slot along like nicely along any of the class, like the classic hits, like the, you know, the, the big ones you have to play every night. So I, I agree. I think when, when touring gets back going, I think that song's going to go over great live. Um, oh, great. Uh, another, hey, oh, sorry, I, go ahead. I will tell you before you change songs, the one thing I'll tell you was Mexico in 1970, the winter of 75, 76 before our first record, uh, in the studio, when I was warming up to play solo on that, knowing that it was going to be maybe like my big moment on that first record to shine, like it was every night when we played a gig, you know, leading up to us making our first record, you know. But the problem was that they had just added those mariachi horn sections the day before, da -da 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 -da, you know, in the middle of my solo. So I knew that I had that to contend with as a soloist, which I'd never played with before. So we, you know, recorded it, and I ended up playing it really good and all the way through, and the producer said, come on in, and I went in, and there was my hero, Eric Clapton, who had been watching me play Mexico one day <laughs> be rocking. <laughs> and I, I totally grumbled and, you know, kind of called over to him, ah, 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 you know, and, and he stood up and said, Gene Plank, man. And he left, and it was the only time I ever met Eric Clapton. But, you know, it was a good thing I didn't know he was in the control room watching when I was about to play, because I know I wouldn't have been able to play anything, probably. That's incredible. That's a great story. Thank you for telling that. That is Awesome. Sure. Wow. Uh, the next song I want to touch on, um, I love Ghost Town a lot, too. To me, that's a really cool jam. It's got that laid-back Firefall sound, kind of living ain't living esque sound, in my, in my right. opinion. Talk about that one a bit. Um, David Muse, who's one of the original guys in the band, um, he occasionally plays little clubs down in the Tampa area as the David Muse band, it's like two of them, or him and a guitar player or something. And he's been playing this song, Ghost Town, on those gigs, um, you know, for for five, eight years, or, you know, he doesn't play that many solo gigs, but um, he brought it and said, I really think this song would be great for us. And you mentioned Living Ain't Living, which the interplay on that song in the 70s between his saxophone and my lead guitar is one of the signature things that became in Firefall. Not only the acoustic guitars and the great vocals and everything, but David and I playing off each other with guitar and either sax or flute. And Ghost Town became this song that kind of features the flute with me throwing in lead guitar, you know, behind and answering back and playing with him. And uh, that was a really fun song to cut. We did that together. Nice. He, he was on one mic, and I was in a, the ISO room with uh, with the guitar, and you know it took us a couple of takes, but then we were you know right there playing. So I'm glad you like those town. That's yeah. a song by Tony Joe White and one other fellow. Oh wow, nice. Yeah, I love that. That's one. That was one that like really like bowled me over. Like it kind of, it kind of like I like I like a good song where you can like just kind of close your eyes and let the instruments like do a show for you, and that's one of those. And I, Living ain't living's another one like that. So, yeah, right. Uh, I'm, we're not we're not gonna get out of here without talking about the history of Firefall a bit, and uh, I wanted to touch on that. You and Rick Roberts uh, kind of came together in '73. Talk about how that started the ball rolling to what became what became Firefall. Okay, um, Rick Roberts replaced Graham Parsons in the Flying Breeder Brothers oh. with Chris Hillman from the Birds, right? And Michael Clark, the drummer from the Birds 
became the drummer in the Flying Breeder Brothers for most of the time. So Rick Roberts uh, replaced Graham Parson. Uh, wow. And when and out of the total blue, me being a hot older guitar player without a gig, um, you know, into town came Graham Parsons from the Birds and um, and the Flying Breeder Brothers, Graham Parsons, Amy Lou Harris, and the Fallen Angels, and they got to their first gig, and the guitar player that they had kind of picked sight unseen wasn't that great, and he got really drunk that night. You know, and they told the manager of the club, you need to call around and find us a guitar player. We got a we got a month and a half long tour to go on. And the manager called me. I went down and saw them. Emmy Lou Harris, you know, to see Emmy Lou Harris at, when she was like, what, 20 or 21 or something on stage. It was just stunning. And her voice was just so angelic, you know. And uh, um, so I fell into Graham and Emmy Lou's band. And what's interesting, the the synchronicity and the fate involved with some of this history is really great because my second gig with Graham and Amy Lou in Houston, Linda Ronstadt and Neil Young walked on stage and sat in with us. And we ended up spending the night, you know, doing everything over at their hotel room. And Graham was singing a hundred country songs and, and Amy Lou and Linda sang together for the first time, really. And it was amazing. And so Linda Ronstadt, who had a song with from Rick Roberts called Colorado that was the Flying Burrito Brothers song that never did anything, and Linda Ronstadt made it a big hit. Okay? So anyway, I'm in New York City playing with Graham. Rick Roberts comes to where we're playing. We get talking. You live in Boulder. I live in Boulder. Yeah, hey, we should get together. Long story short, I started playing a lot of Rick's songs with him thinking he was making a third solo record, and when Mark and when Mark Andes came into the picture, now Boulder, I'll set the scene for you real quick. In '72, when Caribou Ranch in Chicago and Caribou Records moved into the area, and then suddenly, you know, people like Elton John and you know John Lennon and people are cutting albums up at uh, Caribou, you know, and there was Red Rocks just down the road. But people like Stephen Stills and Chris Hillman and, and Richie Fury from Buffalo Springfield and Poco and Carl Wilson from uh, the Beach Boys and Joe Walsh and Dan Fogelberg, they all moved into the mountains above Boulder, you know, and suddenly Boulder was this hotbed of amazing music with a lot of rock stars, you know, living just up in the hills. So when Firefall got together in that situation, we'd be playing a little club, you know, working on our material and making sure that, because we knew we wanted to get a record deal right away because, Mark, Mark, Mark Andes and Michael Clark and Rick Roberts had already been there at National Recording Dance. And I'd been in a band with Zephyr, you know, to replace Tommy Bone and stuff. But yeah. And we made a record with Warner Brothers. But the thing is, is that we, we had our sights set high. And on any given night, Fogelberg or Stephen Stills or Joe Walsh would come and sit in with us, you know, an hour, you know, a year before we you were signed our record deal. And it seemed pretty faded. And I was going to tell you that our first day of practice, uh, our first day of practice with um, Rick Roberts, and he flew Larry Burnett, the singer-songwriter who wrote Cinderella, out, saying it would be great. And Mark Andes and I, as the two hot players, and our first day of practice, we had 25 original songs to look at and to work out. And, it, you know, that never happens. And it was just amazing. And frankly, in that first batch of songs from our first week of rehearsal, 
There was Mexico. There was It Doesn't Matter. There was Living Ain't Living. There was Cinderella. There was half of our first record we were hearing for the first time. And, you know, Mark and I as players were going, oh, boy, <laughs> what a band. You know, and then we got Michael Clark in and, and became Firefall and made our record uh, down in Criteria. Uh, and that's where in Miami, that's where Eric Clapton heard me play because he had just made 461 Ocean Boulevard down there. But Firefall history is a pretty fated and wonderful and connected thing that all, you know, all the, the levers went the right direction for a couple of years for us. And it was really because the songs were so good. Yeah, Thank they, you, Rick and Larry. Yeah, they, they really do stand up. And that's, you touched on something I wanted to ask you about, and that was that Boulder, Colorado scene. Like, I've heard about it mentioned before, and I but I just haven't been able to find much on it online. So to kind of hear that story about, like, how, like, the, the two studios were kind of brought everybody in and people started moving there, like, that is really cool. So thank you for sharing that. That's great. Well, here here's kind of the synopsis, as I can make it. Um, the guys, like, Jim McGuinn, who became Roger McGuinn, and Richie Sherry, who joined up Buffalo Springfield, and Gene Clark and David Murphy and Joni Mitchell, all those New York and East Coast and other city or Canada, Joni and Neil Young were from, from Canada, Winnipeg, Canada. They all went to L.A. and they invented a new kind of music. You know, nobody had really put country and rock together, and they invented country rock with... Sweethearts of the Rodeo with Graham Parsons, mm -hmm. and then the Burrito Brothers, and Poco with Rusty Young and Richie Fury, and, and Timothy B. Schmidt, you know, and Randy Meisner before Timothy, you know, um, they invented country rock. Now, the Birds with Roger McGuinn and the 12th string pretty much invented folk rock. And I have a Time magazine from back in, you know, in the, the late 60s that shows folk rock, and it has a picture of the Birds on Time magazine. You know, all of those amazing bands that were at the, the trunk of our tree, and in the branches you have uh, Poco, and you have the Breeder Brothers, and you, have, and, uh, you know, Loggins and Messina, and you have this and that, and Firefall is legitimately at the top of that genealogy tree, and there's not too many bands after us in that tree. There's other genres and stuff, but... Um, Firefall with Michael Clark from the Birds and Rick Roberts from the Burritos. And, you know, we play a small role in that genealogy tree of that great folk rock, country rock tradition. But the point is, is that L.A., those guys got tired, those rock stars got tired of living in L.A., getting on the road half the time and the other half of the time being in L.A. And they moved to Boulder and for about five or six or seven years, Boulder became a mecca for you know, those rock stars when they got off the road and they didn't want to be rock stars anymore. They'd go, they'd go want to sit in with some club band, you know, at a club and just be a normal person and drive a snowplow, you know, like Steven Stills did. Nice. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah. And then Boulder kind of went away, but Firefall was a prime product of that time for sure. Yep. And that first album, man, that, that really kicked the ball, ball into gear. Like with you are the woman and a lot of other songs on that record did really well. Uh, one of my favorites on there I've always wanted to ask about is Dolphin's Lullaby. Is there a story behind that song? Because I just mm. think it's so gorgeous. Right. That's one of Rick's, Rick Roberts' best songs, Dolphin's Lullaby. And you don't know how many times over the past 30 years where we have a meet and greet or a meet the fans or something, and some gal will come and say, I sang Dolphin's Lullaby to my child. 
every night for like three or four years. And that song means so much to us, not only her, but her, her child. And Rip Roberts wrote a great song. And what's interesting is he never had any kids. And so, you know, as a songwriter, you can put yourself into this other personality and write a song from that personality that's only partially you, you know. But Rick wrote this song, and man, with the with the time changes that gone from four four, a slow four four to the six eight, which is like three four waltz time, you know, what a great song! And that was a hard one to do live, and we hardly ever did it live in thirty or forty years. Yeah, I could see how that one would be a challenge, but that's really cool. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like you know that's a fan favorite. Like that is a if 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 you're in the know, you know. Right. And then you follow well, you that. Know, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and no, then you, you, fo- you followed up Lunas- You followed up uh, Firefall with Lunacy and Elon, and those are both great albums as well. They're kind of part of like this Holy Trinity classic run. Do you have a favorite of those first three? <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I, I I could probably figure out and tell you which one I thought was the best record or the best technical record that caught the best vibe, but you're right. It's like three albums together in a three-year span. You know, ending with Strange Way and all those great songs on the lawn, which we had grown out of being that we were pegged a country rock band to start with. And the truth is, is the only song that had sounded halfway country rock was Cinderella, you know, and we were, you know, a lot of people call us the Colorado sound. And the way I look at it is we were part of the L.A. sound that moved to Colorado and then. Some of us became the Colorado sound. Joe Walsh certainly did that with Rocky Mountain Way, huh? Oh yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that. Those are the uh, the three big ones, I'd say. And then after that, you did a three. There were three more records after that, and then Firefall kind of took a break. And there was something in that period I wanted to ask about. I've been doing a lot of reading up on the band, like for this. And I saw something on Wikipedia that just kind of pinged my interest. I wanted to know if it was true or not, but there was a story. So you guys toured with a lot of acts in the 70s, one of them being Fleetwood Mac. You opened for them on the Rumors Tour, and it sounded like yep. at some point Mick Fleetwood was almost your manager. Is that true? And what's the story behind that? Um, it is true, and he wasn't thinking about our manager. He was our manager for about two or three weeks. Hmm. And he was able to stop. We made the album Elan and had been touring with Fleetwood Mac and he and his limited management fellows approached us about managing us. We said, sure, God, McDuit was the biggest guy in the industry right now. You know, and he listened to that Elan album, which our first album went great. Second album we redid totally. Cost us twice as much money, but we made a better album when we redid it. Third album, same thing. You know, so the same, when it came to science, he listened to it, he says, I don't know if this album's good enough as it is. It's not really popping. Why don't you guys take a, you know, and, and we said, well, we already okayed the acetate and the mixes uh, from, uh, with Atlantic. So they're going to go to presses this week. And he's, and we said, it's too late. And Mick, <laughs> and Mick Fleetwood at the table went, it's never too late. <laughs> and he flew to he flew to New York with his guys and had you know uh, oh and all, everybody and I think even Ahmed Erdogan was there with Atlantic Records and uh, went to the table and they sat down and wondered what the heck this was all about and he goes I now represent and he slams a fist on the table and goes fireball and we want to stop the presses and redo the album 
and they and I heard that everybody's jaw dropped. But he was about the only guy in the industry that could have stopped that record that wasn't as good as the one we went back and made. And we kept sweet and sour and strange way, and, and you know we kept about seven or eight of those songs. Rick wrote a few new songs. We added strings. We added more guitars. We added. We beefed up vocals. We made it sound better. And it was a way better album. And who knows, maybe if we had put that first album of Alon out, it wouldn't have been the success it was because it wasn't as good. That's a great story, though. Though, man, like Mick Fleetwood, like I always kind of imagined him as being a little like, like he always looks a little devious to me. So I can just imagine him going like, oh, I'll stop this. <laughs> let, me, let me go. <laughs> he's a funny guy. And of course, he's like six foot eight or something. So, oh, wow. you know, you, you can't not notice Mick Fleetwood when he's in a room with you. That's great. But, uh, it, it, you know, it's I've, I've had a real charmed career, and Firefall has had a charmed, particularly start off the gate, you know. You know, when we when we broke out of the gate, we were suddenly on the road with the band, um, Robbie Robertson and Levon Helm, and their last tour before they broke up making the Last Waltz movie. We toured a month with the Doobies. We toured a month with Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac during the White Album. And they liked us so much as their main opening act for the White Album when about nine months later, rumors came out. We were there on a lot of those huge shows. Those That's the best summer. You know, we were playing in front of 75 to 100,000 people a day, you know. And also basketball arenas that were smaller, 30 or 40,000. But we were playing these huge stadium shows with Fleetwood Mac and Bob Seger and Firefall. And it was just unbelievable. That sounds incredible. Man, uh, the tours I could I could have seen if I was bo- if I was born sooner. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, how old are you? You sound I'm, pretty young. I'm 27, man. I'm 27. Yeah, you are young. Yeah, that's amazing though that you have done so much research on music of the of you know the 50s. I lived through the 50s, so I I got to you know live through my sister's record collection, my older sister's record collection of all the 50s. You know Elvis and and everybody, and then the 60s were so great, which I tried to say about in my song way back when. Yeah. And then the 70s, Firefall played a small role in and got to tour with all the top bands of the day. You know, how much is that? It's, it's a I'm a fortunate guy, because there's a lot of really good guitar players out in the world, but I, I was fortunate enough to meet with and partner with Rick Roberts. Yeah, you did, you did and you made some incredible records, too. And yeah, I, I love... I love like I can't not acknowledge the past, the past. I've always like enjoyed like classic rock, as they call it. Call it like like to me, it's just music. I enjoy older music. I enjoy newer music, but I really enjoyed like music from the seventies and eighties the best. That's kind of like my wheelhouse. So yeah, I lo- I'm really excited like when bands like Firefall put out a new record because I'm I'm eager to hear new music from you guys. So with that, uh, right. I've got I've got two more questions uh, to bring this all home. Uh, First, uh, without li- with live shows on hold right now, you haven't really had a chance to play many of these songs live for the fans yet. Um, I saw you guys do Nature's Way a couple years ago, but uh, are there any right. specific ones you're looking forward to busting out once this is all over? Um, I think you know that the, it will they'll float to the surface. I I can't see us not doing Way Back When. Um. You know, uh, maybe a New Mexico, uh, my song, There She Is, we played really hot, and it's three minutes worth of powerhouse stuff. Um, you know, there's a, an outside song on the record called Younger by a famous 
Nashville writer Gary Burr, who is a it's a wonderful ballad, and you know that's what Firefall had. I thought in the in the old days is a really good balance of between rockers and you know love songs and ballads and deep and dark Larry Burnett rockers and you know just the variety of the music was really good and you know we did make three really good albums and I'm really glad that I think that this one's standing up to to those so yay awesome yeah and then traditionally I like to end this show with a tour with a tour story like some kind of like funny story that happened while on tour or like a mishap or something or some someone cool showed up at a show like do you have any like funny tour stories from over the years oh yeah Many of them, you know, can't be told, um, <laughs> but, uh, and you know, there's, you know, God, I've been on the road for 45 or 50 years, you know, and it's just, just amazing. And, you know, a lot of it is just a grind of travel, but I will tell you that, um, I ended up in the mid to late nineties being asked to write a song for suicide prevention uh, to try to help keep a hotline that was losing their funding together. And I said, yeah, I can write a song. And I, I wrote this song called Call On Me. And they put it on a little album in Colorado Springs and made a little money and stayed in business. And then, you know, six months later, I'm going, I got this great suicide prevention song. And I put a couple of benefits on it, two in Nashville and one in San Francisco. Um, the one in San Francisco was with Journey. The, uh, the ones in Nashville featured Michael, Michael McDonald you know, who I'd known from the Doobie Brothers and David Pack from Ambrosia. And one of them, Winona, was on there. But anyway, um, we were doing the very first suicide prevention benefit in Nashville at the tiny little Bluebird Cafe that has 125 seats. And Michael came up to me at halftime um, before he had gone on stage and said, um, Steve Winwood is out in the audience, and would it be okay if he got up and played a song or two? And I went, would it be okay? <laughs> Steve Winwood, are you kidding me? You know, one of my favorite all-time rock songs is Give Me Some Lovin' from Spencer Davis when he was 15 years old in 1965, which, in fact, I had mentioned in Firefall Sun, yep. you know. And, and I said, sure, get him up here. And so uh, here we were with my hot little band and me, and Steve Winwood came on, and we first did um, Can't Find My Way Home from Blind Faith nice. with him playing my acoustic guitar, and I'm going, this is great. I hope somebody's taking a picture. And um, then he was about to walk off stage, and Michael McDonald grabs him and says, no, 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 we have to do Give Me Some Love. And, um, uh, and he sat down at, the, at Michael's keyboard and looked up at Michael and said, I need an organ sound. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> we, you got that. And suddenly we're playing Give Me Some Lovin'. And Steve Winwood is about four feet away from me playing keyboard right in front of me. And I'm sharing the mic with Michael McDonald. And the next mic is David Pack from Ambrosia. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm on stage with three of the best rock and roll singers ever. You know, and Steve Winwood is, is just at the top of that list. You know, and I can you know, die and go to heaven now. So... There's a story for you of falling into playing with Give Me Some Loving with Stevie Winwood and uh, and uh, Michael McDonald. Nice. I love it. Well, uh, Jock, thank you so much for your, for talking to me. You've been very generous with your time. And uh, we had a bit of a runaround thank trying you. to get, get this going. But I really enjoyed speaking with you. The album comes out December 11th. It's called Comet. Uh, tell the people where they can go get it. I know you can order it on Amazon. Uh, is, it, is it on the official Firefall website? Yep. 
Um, it'll probably just give you to a link that you can go to Amazon or there's two or three other places. Here we are two days before Friday when the album is released and you have been able to buy the new Comet Records for about a week on some on some deal. But yeah, go to Amazon and I will tell you that if you want to see a great video on our current mm -hmm. single, Way Back When, go type into, go to uh, YouTube, Firefall Way Back When, and you'll see my son's video, which is great, and it's kind of a historic, you know, uh, pictorial of uh, the music of the 60s. So, hey, thanks for having me, Alex. I appreciate it. No worries, man. It was great talking to you. Till next time, I'm the Sly Dog. Peace, love, and rock and roll.
Thank you for listening to the Sly Dog Music Cast. If you want to know what's going on, follow me on Twitter at Sly Dog Music Cast or Facebook at Sly Dog Music Cast. Thanks again for listening. Peace, love, and music.